Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Greetings, and welcome to What Happened to That Guy, a Ravens podcast about former players and life after football. I'm your host, John Eisenberg. If you listened to the first two episodes featuring Jermaine Lewis and Peter Bulware, I want to thank you. To show my appreciation, I'm going to take you behind the curtain here at the start of episode number three. My subject is Kyle Bowler, the former first-round draft pick and starting quarterback, who in 2003 was handed the keys to the Ravens offense. Practically the keys to the entire franchise, actually. He was 22 years old. As you may know, he didn't quite live up to expectations. But he was in Baltimore for six years. He started 42 games, signed two contracts, and he ranked second in franchise history in most of the major passing statistical categories, trailing only Joe Flacco. I thought it would be interesting to find out what Kyle is up to now, how he's doing. So I called him. And here's where I'll take you behind the curtain and let you see and hear how the sausage gets made, so to speak, here at the Baltimore Ravens Podcast Network. Here's a raw recording of the start of my phone conversation with Kyle. One, two, three, four, five. Is that good? Hey, is this Kyle? Yes. Hey, it's John Eisenberg calling from Baltimore. Hey, John. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Is this a good time for you? Yeah, so- I got to uh, take the old uh, wife's car into the dealership today, so oh, okay. I figured uh, right. if jump on earlier would be better for me. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. Interviewing athletes on the phone is one of the basic requirements of writing and talking about sports. When people ask me for a job description, what I do, I tell them, A, I drive to and from airports, B, I talk to athletes on the phone, and C, in between doing those other two things, occasionally I write. I've interviewed hundreds of sports figures on the phone, athletes, coaches, former athletes, owners. Most were cooperative, but some were, shall we say, not quite as enthusiastic about the conversation as me. Don't get me wrong, they weren't outright rude, but it was clear they would rather be doing something other than talking to a guy with a bunch of questions. They looked forward to the point where we wrapped things up. Kyle Bowler, you may have noticed, could not have been more enthusiastic or pleasant. He is 38 years old now, happily married with two young kids, 
He made quite a bit of money in football, not Tom Brady money, but enough that he doesn't have to get up every morning and hustle off to an office job. He lives in San Diego, a beautiful place. In between taking his two kids to school in the morning and picking them up in the afternoon, he plays a lot of golf. When we spoke, I envisioned him sitting in his kitchen, morning sunlight streaming in, blue skies and flowers outside, a classic California scene. Bowler was, still is, and will always be a California kid, so to speak. He grew up in Burbank, near Los Angeles. He played his college ball at Cal Berkeley. When he settled down, he married, wait for it, a former Miss California. You heard him, right? I'm doing good, man. Doing really good. One of the reasons Kyle Bowler is doing so well now, no question, is he isn't in the NFL anymore. I started tackle football when I was six years old. For me, the day that I did retire, it was one of the best days of my life. The world was lifted off my shoulders. When you play that long, I was mentally, physically, and emotionally burned out of it. Never got cut, never got traded. I was like, you know what, I'm going to go out on my own terms. Did you hear what he said? The day he retired was one of the best days of his life. You go through so much as a player from an emotional and physical and mental standpoint. For me, once that all ended and I knew that I didn't really have to, to do that anymore, it was just freeing for me. Of anything I've ever done in my whole life, it was like, all right, this chapter's kind of done now, and now I'm ready for the next chapter. I might be wrong, but I don't think that many players feel the same way about the end of their careers. Playing in the NFL is rough stuff, no question, but the pay is good and you're in the brightest of spotlights. It's exciting. There are definitely some privileges. Most guys are in no hurry to give it up. In fact, they dread the end. All they've ever done is play football. They can't imagine doing anything else. Bowler didn't say this, but I got the feeling his 10 years in the league felt like a 100 to him. The whole time, he faced a rugged opponent that harassed him like a Pro Bowl pass rusher. Only his opponent was an intangible, something he couldn't see or touch. That opponent was the burden of great expectations. In the 2003 NFL Draft, the Ravens took two guys in the first round as the number 10 and number 19 overall selections. The Ravens were coming off a season in which they went 7-9 and nine, with Chris Redman and Jeff Blake at quarterback. They were looking for new blood, a young guy who could grab the position by the lapels and make it his own. They were looking for a star. With the first of those first-round picks, number 10 overall, they took a linebacker from Arizona State. His name was Terrell Suggs. They had considered trading up to get a quarterback they liked, Byron Leftwich from Marshall, but they couldn't make it happen. An hour or so later into the first round, they did trade up, sending a pair of high draft choices to the New England Patriots for the number 19 overall pick, which they used to select Bowler. The Suggs pick was a home run. He would end up playing for the Ravens for 16 years, setting a franchise record for sacks that may last forever. A lot of experts think he'll make the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. But at the time... The bowler pick was a bigger deal, a much bigger deal. Breaking news, the Ravens have a new quarterback. But who was he? Only Baltimore fans who closely followed the draft had ever heard of Bowler. 
He played on the West Coast. His Cal teams never won a conference title, never went to a bowl, didn't play on national TV. They were 1-10 when Bowler was a junior. Bowler, though, piled up big numbers, impressive statistics. In four seasons as Cal starter, he passed for 64 touchdowns and almost 8,000 yards. And he saved the best for last. He was really good as a senior. The Ravens scouted him and fell in love. Here's Brian Billick, their head coach at the time, who had led the Ravens to a Super Bowl victory just a few years earlier. Whatever box you want to check when you evaluate a quarterback, and there's a lot of different people that will have different perspectives on that, he checked off every box you could ever want. Strong arm, good athlete, smart kid, loved the game, had a certain personality that people were drawn to, you know, in terms of that leadership, had plenty of want, everything about it. It just, for whatever reason, the sum of the parts didn't equal the whole. Ouch. That's tough stuff right there, that last sentence. The sum of the parts didn't equal the whole. I think it calls for a deep dive into exactly what went on. Just months after he was drafted, Bowler opened the 2003 season as the Ravens' starting quarterback. There was no apprenticeship. No time for him to stand on the sidelines and learn the pro game while he watched others play. The Ravens had three quarterbacks, Chris Redman and Anthony Wright, two veterans, and Bowler, a rookie. Bowler got the job. He was a very confident young man. The one thing with Kyle, when you take a guy that high in the draft, you got to play him. And, And that's my personal belief as well. You don't learn anything standing on the sideline as a rookie other than how to get to the stadium and where to eat afterwards. He came in with an organization that had been starved at the quarterback position for a long time. The expectations were very high. He came to a team that was very good. It is tougher for a young quarterback to come onto a team that is new and struggling because then they can struggle with you and you build compared to the pressures that even though you're a rookie and you're going to start, we expect to win. That was the pedigree here. We had been Super Bowl champs. We had a good enough defense in a running game that we expected to win. That's a different environment for a young quarterback to have to step into compared to one like a Baker Mayfield where he can go out and just play and just throw it up because what the hell, what are we going to do, lose another game? Right. You know, who cares? Kyle came into a more difficult situation in that regard. At the time, Bowler was proud and excited to begin his NFL career as a starting quarterback on a winning team. When he looks back now, though, he sees the opportunity as the beginning of his struggles. From the get-go, I got thrown in right away. I was never ready to play, but obviously Brian Bill thought I was ready to play. Aside from the fact that he doesn't feel he was ready to be an NFL starting quarterback, a couple of other things were working against him, he believes. There was no mentor on the roster, no successful older quarterback to show him the ropes. Also, while the Ravens were a winning team, their style of play wasn't a perfect fit for a quarterback with a big arm, a guy who wanted to air it out. Having to go to a place where you don't have any veteran there. I mean, I love Chris Redman to death, but if I would have had a Steve McNair to learn from on how to watch tape and what an NFL quarterback schedule and routine is, you know, it would have been very helpful. And then you're coming into a team back in 2003 that was heavily defensive predicated. Basically, just don't lose the game. That's tough to, like, handcuff a quarterback and be like, you know, we're going to run the ball two times and then they're going to have third and eight. You know, we're going to have this vanilla offense, but just don't lose the game. Bowler started the Ravens' first nine games in 2003. There were some struggles, typical of a rookie. 
He threw three interceptions in a week four loss to Kansas City. Bowler takes the snap, fakes to Lewis. He sets, he's throwing the bomb for Heap. Double coverage, and it's intercepted. Two weeks later, he passed for 300 yards and three touchdowns against the Bengals. He's throwing the bomb for Travis Taylor, and he's got it. Stays inbounds, 10-5, touchdown Ravens. Bowler with the bomb to Travis Taylor, 73 yards. A couple of so-so performances followed, and then he got hurt in week nine. A thigh injury ended his season. But it didn't end the Ravens' season. Anthony Wright took over at quarterback. The offense picked up. This was the year Jamal Lewis ran for more than 2,000 yards. The Ravens rode Lewis, Wright, and their defense to a division title. But despite that success with Wright, the Ravens stuck by Bowler. They had drafted him in the first round. They still believed he would develop into a starter they could ride for years. They gave him back the starting job in 2004, and this time he stayed healthy, started all 16 games. The Ravens went 9-7, just missed the playoffs, and Bowler, well, he didn't flop, but he didn't knock anyone out. He finished the season with 2,500 passing yards, 13 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and a quarterback rating of 70.9. That's below the league average. The next year, he got hurt right away in week one, and the Ravens' season went south while he was out and Wright played quarterback. They were 2-6 and six when Bowler came back in November. In his first game back, he threw three interceptions in a loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Near the end of the 2005 season, he had his best games in a Baltimore uniform. Playing the Green Bay Packers on Monday Night Football, he passed for three touchdowns in a 48-3 romp, easily outdueling a pretty decent quarterback named Brett Favre. Third and goal from the two. Bowler, quick drop, throws it for Heap. He's got a touchdown. Bowler to Heap, a two-yard score, and the Ravens take the lead. The next week, he threw for three touchdowns again as the Ravens beat the Minnesota Vikings on Christmas night. Vikings lead the game 17-10. Bowler has it, blitzes on, fires down the middle. Clayton, great catch. He's going all the way. 10-5, touchdown Mark Clayton. Bowler threw a laser over the middle. But after those two great performances, he ended the season with another clunker, throwing a pair of interceptions and no touchdowns in a loss to the Cleveland Browns. That offseason, the Ravens traded for Steve McNair an accomplished and winning veteran quarterback who'd led the Tennessee Titans to great heights. There was no doubt what it meant. Bowler's time as the number one quarterback was over. Which is tough because you bring him in, you nurture him, and you figure they're all in. But it was part of the combination of where he was and what his development was, how good a team we thought we were, because these windows do exist, and to have that veteran presence of, of Steve McNair, and, I'm, and we, what, we went 13-3 and three that year, and so it bore out pretty good, to have that added experience and abilities of a Steve McNair on a team that we thought the window existed for us to be pretty good, I think that was part of it as well. Obviously, Bowler was bummed. Part of him wondered if he should ask to be traded. But he kept quiet and became the number two quarterback, McNair's backup, which gave him a front row seat to one of the Ravens' best seasons ever. With McNair under center, they went 13-3, and won the AFC North, earned the number two seed in the AFC playoffs. It all ended with a thud, a bitter home loss to the Indianapolis Colts in a divisional playoff game. But regardless, the move to McNair and away from Bowler was an unqualified success. They got to do what they got to do, and I felt like I could never really get on track. I mean, I was given that chance. I played all 16 games, and that's a big learning curve year. 
they're starting to bring some guys in. I mean, we got Derek Mason that came in. That I feel like he really helped me out, like having a veteran receiver in there. You know, Jonathan Ogden was still there. So we still had some guys, and they were kind of building that offensive piece. But, yeah, I think once McNair was able to get in there, I mean, Bill decided that that was the best opportunity to do that. You know, what do you do? Like, it's out of my control. Like, I can say, oh, I want to get traded or I want to do this. Or you can just be the backup and be the team guy and do your job. And we had a really – I think we were 13-3 and three that year. I always think that could have been me in there playing, but that's just not the way that it went down. He had one final shot in 2007 when McNair suffered an injury in the season opener. Initially, things went well. In early October, the Ravens were 4-2, and two, seemingly set up for another playoff run. But they completely fell apart, losing nine straight games. At one point during the collapse, Bowler went back to the bench. He took his last snap for the Ravens on December 16, 2007, in an infamous loss to the previously winless Miami Dolphins. I'm not making any excuses. Uh, it was rough. I had some really good times at Baltimore, but I also had some really bad times. I felt like I kind of was always just trying to keep my head above water. It was kind of up and down with injuries, which doesn't help because you can't get that consistency. And uh, then you're fighting, obviously, you're fighting the fans and the media sometimes. Looking back now, which I was a little bit more mentally tough, I let some of the media and the fans get to me. You know, like I tell my son or I give my son advice as he grows up, only believe the people that are in your close circle. You have to be so mentally strong these days with media and all this kind of stuff because otherwise it'll tear you down and it's not worth it. And I know that for sure because I played for 10 years and I let it get to me and I probably could have played for 15 years if I didn't let some of that stuff bother me. From Baltimore, Bowler moved on to the St. Louis Rams in 2009 and then spent two years with the Oakland Raiders. He was by now established as a number two quarterback, the kind you kept around for insurance. He signed with the San Diego Chargers, his hometown team, in 2012, but one day of training camp convinced him it was time to walk away. It's very bizarre, right? I went and talked to the Cal football team at Alma Mater a couple weeks ago. And these guys are all trying to aspire to be where I was. I mean, I played almost 10 years in the NFL and started a bunch of games. And you know, I lived my dream. And I'm sitting there telling these guys, hey, the best day of my life was when I stopped playing football. And so it's super bizarre, but it really was like, all right, the chapter's kind of done now. And now I'm ready for the next chapter. Maybe it's super bizarre, but at the time, it was nothing to shed tears about. Not in this case. At the time, Bowler was almost giddy about his career ending. My number one thing off the get-go was like, listen, I'm going to play golf, and I'm going to hang out with my kids and hang out with my family. Like, that was the initial reaction to like being retired. I don't have to listen to any coaches. I don't have to listen to anybody tell me where to be at any time. And I get to spend a, lot, a bunch of time with my family. He was a young man, just 31. He'd given a little bit of thought to what he might want to do after football, but honestly, not a lot of thought. And one reason for the delay was some advice he received from, of all people, Ravens owner Steve Bishotti. Bowler can't recall exactly which year it was that Bishotti came and spoke to the team. Bowler's second or third year in Baltimore, he guesses. So 2004 or 2005, it doesn't really matter. What mattered in the long run was what Bishotti said. Steve Bishotti came and spoke to the team and after the practice and basically just told guys like listen you have an opportunity here to play football I know a lot of guys are going to have opportunities to start businesses and to start restaurants and gyms and different things but I'm just telling you right now me as a business guy like I will crush you in anything that you get into because I get to spend 24 hours 7 days a week doing business you guys are doing sports 
it happens so often to guys where you know, they'll invest in something, a restaurant or this kind of stuff while they're playing, and they'll they'll end up getting screwed because they're not there. Like they don't understand what it is to run a business. You know, the advice that I always took from when he spoke that day after practice was just focus on what you're doing now and what you can control and give 110% to your football, and then there'll be life after football where you can spend all that time on the business. When I started my own business, you know, I was able to spend the time to kind of do that. It took him a couple of years, but Bowler eventually settled on what he wanted to do. He'd watched his father-in-law beat cancer. He and his wife were into being healthy, eating right. With help from more experienced people in the health food industry, the kind of mentors he'd lacked in football, he developed a nutritional bar and put it on the market. It was tougher than it sounds. The recipe had to be just right. Bowler worked to get the bar into stores. The competition was fierce. And I learned a ton, but you know, I kind of threw myself in there. And unfortunately, it's a super saturated industry, and it's hard to sell healthy stuff sometimes. And uh, you know, I learned a lot. I got to do that for about three years, but unfortunately, I had to let it go for a bunch of different reasons. My goal originally was to do the bar and then grow it into a bunch of other healthy, natural products. But you know, in that business, if you're starting a bar company, to any listeners out there, good luck. <laughs> Just there's so many. There's so many things that go into it from shelf life to to have to produce a ton of them and then get rid of a ton of them at the same time. But, you know, it is what it is. I learned a ton from it. I basically got my business degree just by throwing myself in instead of going to business school. Yeah, it was was good. The end of his nutritional bar business put him back in the position of wondering what he'd do next. And he's still in that position. He doesn't lack for ideas. I've dabbled in a couple of different things. Believe it or not, I was actually putting together my own podcast right now, and I have a relationship with a lot of other athletes, and I always feel like people sometimes don't really understand you know, what it is to be an athlete. People can put you on a pedestal as like you're this different person, but we're all the same. You know, We all wake up and brush our teeth and you know have families and deal with people and stuff like that. So I thought it would be cool to bring guys on my show and just talk to them about what it is like kind of behind the curtain. That's kind of a little side project that I'm working on right now. But it's tough. You know, when you go from playing football, especially being an NFL quarterback, it's a real transition for guys to find out what their next passion is. And, you know, I'm, I've had time to sit in my office on my grease board and, you know, try and go over this and that, you know. But sometimes it's not as easy as just like, hey, what do you want to get into? And you got to kind of just navigate through that to figure out what it is. I've done some real estate stuff, and, um, you know, I, I definitely stay busy. I've made some good financial decisions. I've been smart with my money. You know, I'm not forced to go grab a job and make a couple hundred grand a year. I have the luxury of being able to really focus on what I want to get into. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in that position. Uh, that's not the case for, for a lot of guys. You know, the 80% of the guys after five years of being in the NFL are bankrupt and 75% are divorced. You know, I'm definitely not in that category. I listened to Steve Bishotti when he talked. It always shocked me. I think the day that he talked, there's probably half of the guys there like how every single guy wasn't there listening to this ultra-successful guy speak to the team. Um, that, one, that one always kind of shocked me, but yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm in a good place. Okay, let's go behind the curtain again. Here's a rough cut from my conversation with Brian Billick about Bowler. He's a great guy. He's happy in life. He's married. He's and got he kids. Be. He is, I think, and it took a while to unpeel this as we spoke. I think he's a little... I don't know if I can use bitter the word, but he looks back on it like 
it, it's not his favorite memory what happened here. No, and it wouldn't be because it didn't go well, and and for a lot of different reasons, and and uh, you, you'd expect that. But yeah, he's a good young man, and he takes on his responsibility. I take responsibility for it of whatever you know uh, I could have done differently to make it make it happen for him. Maybe we'd have had a different career if he weren't put in a position where where he had that responsibility and that expectation early. You know, like you said, it's the good news, bad news. The good news is, gosh, they think highly enough that I'm a top 20 pick in the NFL draft. The bad news is, oh, my God, now i got to perform like a top 20 pick in the NFL draft. It's hard to believe that 16 years have passed since the Ravens drafted Bowler and made him their starting quarterback. The fact that he's still not even 40 tells you he was really young then in those years when he was at the center of the storm. I try not to think about it too much. Sometimes when the draft stuff comes around and, Sometimes it's so funny because there's, there's so many people that are such haters. People that will try and say that I was the worst draft pick that Baltimore Ravens ever had. And I kind of like laugh to myself. If I'm the worst draft pick that the Ravens ever had, then why the hell did they sign me to two contracts? Not one, but two. People forget. I restructured my contract. They could have got rid of me after whatever. I ended up signing another two-year extension to my original deal. When you hear some of the comments, I mean, I had a good relationship with Brian Billick, but some of the stuff like listening to him talk about on the TV and saying, oh, I'd sell the job if it wasn't for me and blah, blah, blah. It's like it's almost laughable to me. The fact that Bowler tries not to think about his NFL career too much says something about how it went. But don't misunderstand where he's coming from. He is proud that he made it that far, proud of what went right, and no doubt he would do it all again. Physically, I, I have my deals. I get really bad sciatica in my back. Some of the mornings, I'll start feeling the shoulders, and I mean, I had three, you know, three shoulder surgeries. But for the most part, you know, I'm a pretty healthy guy. I'm very active. You know, I work out a lot now, and probably stronger than I've ever been. You know, I eat a lot better and healthier than I ever used to. I'm in a good place, man. I, you know, I live in a beautiful city in San Diego, and have a beautiful family and supportive wife, and you know, two great kids. So life is good. It was all worth it, you know. I mean, playing, you have your ups and your downs. You know, I started tackle football at six, and my dream was growing up to, to play on Monday Night Football. And, and, you know, I was able to do that many times against some really good teams. And even though there was it was a struggle for me, I still got nine credited seasons in and met some really great people along the way. I mean, I still have a great relationship with Steve Bichotti and the guy I looked up, look, look up to in business and, and the way he's raised his kids and the organization that he's built. So I've got a lot of good things out of Baltimore. And, you know, obviously, I'll always hold a good spot in my heart for there. 20% of the fans hate me. Good for them. I know there's a lot of people in Baltimore that uh, do appreciate me and you know, have, have been good to me. There you have it. Episode 3 of What Happened to That Guy. I want to thank Kyle for agreeing to talk and being so candid. He knew it wouldn't be a warm stroll down memory lane, but he went for it anyway which I appreciate. You can find out more about him and his career at BaltimoreRavens.com slash what happened to that guy. Another new episode of the podcast will drop in two weeks and they'll keep coming every other week for the rest of the 2019 season. I hope you keep listening. If you like what you're hearing, don't hesitate to leave a five-star rating or write a review. Also subscribe to it so you don't miss any episodes. All that helps. This podcast and The Lounge, the excellent weekly podcast from my colleagues, Ryan Mink and Garrett Downing, are part of the Baltimore Ravens Podcast Network. You can tell people just search for that wherever you get your podcasts. 
Baltimore Ravens Podcast Network, and everything will come up. This is John Eisenberg. I'll talk with you again in two weeks. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.